Good morning. One more time. Good morning. morning. Guys were up late last night watching fireworks, and we don't have coffee anymore, so maybe that'll change soon, and everybody can be awake on the first good morning. One more time. Good morning. morning. All right. Thank you. Hey, I've been trying to uh, think of a word that kind of describes the times that we're living in right now, and as I was preparing for this week, um, I was thinking about how kind of in our face everything is at the moment, and everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, people are in conflict and have differences of ideas and all of the different things that are kind of challenging us over and over and over and over again. These things are just um, all engulfing our life right now. And so I thought, do I talk today about relevant issues and what's going on in our world and how do we address those things or do we talk about something else? And so I just began to think about kind of what my own um, spirit needed and what I needed as um, we're living in the times that we're in. And I thought that I wouldn't um, directly talk about all the things that are going on in the world, although what we're talking about will certainly apply to the culture and the world and the context and spaces that we live in right now. And so as I was thinking about a word that just kind of describes kind of how I feel most often right now, the word is frustrated. Is there anybody in here who you just kind of feel frustrated, okay? And it's like everywhere you look, every post you read, all the time, it's just frustration. And I don't know how to get beyond this. And when we feel frustrated, it's really kind of a result of us ultimately maybe not getting what we want. Or uh, someone seeing something differently than you do, but you want them to see it the way that you do. In fact, most of us, we live that way in our homes, right? Especially moms and dads. You're like, hey, if everybody in our house would just do things the way that I want, we're all good, right? And so we go to work and we wish that we would get a raise or at least that the boss would say thank you once in a while and then it doesn't happen. And so we go home disappointed and we find ourselves frustrated and we pull back into the parking lot at work every day and we feel more frustrated every day that we uh, go there because of that disappointment or that lack of what I wished would happen that is not happening. And we have frustrations when we see some people post one thing politically and somebody else post another and neither one of them really represent what you think and you just think, I wish I could get everybody to understand and see things the way I see them and then everything would be okay. And we just get frustrated. We wish that everybody would wear masks and protect everybody else. Or we wish that no one would wear masks and we would just burn them all and never wear them again. And so we have all these different angles and things that we come up against in life and we find ourselves frustrated. We find ourselves with tension in our own heart on the inside. Just, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to break through. I don't know how to overcome. And we wrestle with these things on a regular basis. See, most of the things that I just talked about are are somewhat trivial in the grand scheme of life. But what about frustrations that means something significantly more to us. We're living in a home where our kids are maybe making some decisions and we're having to have some conversations that we as parents maybe don't really know exactly how to navigate those conversations. And we feel a a brokenness on behalf of our children because we don't know as parents how to help them do the best 
next thing. And we don't know how to support them in the best ways and make sure that we're teaching them and training them in the way that we want to. Or maybe you are living in a home right now and you and your spouse are living there, but you might as well live separately because things just aren't like they used to be in marriage and you're not really sure how to move forward. Or some of you who received the phone call that your hours were being cut back or that your business was closing or that you no longer had a job and you're wondering, how am I going to face this month with no money? And how will I move forward? And you're faced with that. Some in here, you may have experienced the the death and the loss loss of a loved one that you didn't see coming. You didn't know that that was around the corner, and now you find yourself just frustrated at life because we don't know how to deal. Maybe you have faced the biggest failure and challenge of your life only to be confronted with the fact that the people you thought cared about you most really don't care about you at all, and they turned your back in the midst of that when they needed you most. See, we all go through things. Some things are big, some things are small, but we find ourselves with the tension of frustration in our own souls and our own heart and our own mind and we're not sure the way forward it's tense it's unsettling it's what do i do how how can i fix this how can i deal with this how can i handle this so we come to moments when we're alone we're driving in the car we're laying our head down at night and we think Man, could things get any worse? Could things be any more difficult? It just seems like stuff is so messed up. It's so out of control. I want to do something about it, but I, it feels like I can't do something about it. Things couldn't get any worse. As I was studying this week and reading through the culture in which Jesus came to us? What were things like when Jesus came to this earth? What were the tensions in his world that he stepped into? Because I have to think that while cultures change and kingdoms change, times change, at every point in history there's one thing in common, no matter where you find yourself, and it's that people were there. And so if people were there... There were probably a lot of the same issues. And so when Jesus came, no doubt, because he addressed these things, there were liars that needed confronted and teaching. There were those who were cheaters and adulterers, and there were sexual immorality issues. There was significant political unrest. In fact, there were four categories, as I was reading, of of people who were trying to deal with the injustice of this world. There was oppression, and there was racism, and there was poverty. They dealt with all the same issues that we deal with because we're people. We're broken humanity. And so Jesus comes onto the scene, and there were generally four different types of people that he encountered in his world that assimilated themselves into these four basic groups that were trying to figure out how to make the world right again. How do we fix this? How do we move forward? How can we change things? And so there were what were called zealots, and the zealots were the ones who uh, carried arms, in other words, to try to overthrow the government and try to come against the government and try to beat the system through violence and even rioting. 
There were Sadducees who were the wealthy nobles of the time who cared so much about accumulating and retaining their wealth and accumulating power that they were willing to make shady deals with the government even though it meant selling out some of their own people. They were going to fix the world through power and wealth. There were Pharisees who chose to take the moral high ground, and so they became the religious elite and the moral elite of their time. And they thought, we're going to change the world and change the culture and change this society by the way that we live in such a moral and ethical way that we're going to live on another level, and that's how we will change the world. And then there were the hippies of the time, the Essenes, and they were just going to withdraw themselves from culture. They were just going to withdraw themselves and create their own thing, whatever that was. Just forget culture. It's too far. It's too messy. It's too hard to deal with. We're just going to withdraw ourselves from it. You see how the time of Jesus doesn't really seem all that much different than our time? He came into a world where there were broken people trying to fix things their own way, on their own, and do it the way they thought was best. We were broken, we were messed up, we had no way forward, and I would say times are certainly not as bad as they've ever been, because if for no other reason, it was worse for one reason when Jesus came, and that was there was no hope beyond ourselves until he came. Until Jesus came on the scene, there was no other way beyond what we could rationalize or ascertain in our own minds as a good way forward. There was no other way than us just trying really, really hard to figure it out and try to convince the most people that maybe our way was the right way. There was no other way beyond or outside of ourselves to try to fix ourselves, which doesn't work so well. They had heard from the prophets of old and the prophets who we now read in the Old Testament. They had heard from generation to generation that at some point there would be one who would come to us and he would be called the Savior. He would be called God with us and he would step into our space and he would step into our reality and he would step into our moments of despair and destruction and disappointment And he would be the one who could redeem us. He would be the one who could save us. He would be the one who could bring life to our lifeless situation. But until that point, they were living without that hope. So times are not as bad as they have ever been. But when Jesus came, he made it possible for things to be better than they've ever been. Because he came not to transform any particular kingdom of this world but to create a brand new one that no one had ever known about it was called the kingdom of heaven he came to declare to us that in this world and in this life there would be trouble there would be difficulty you would experience death you would experience sickness people will lie to you you will have motives and intentions of your own heart that you just don't even understand sometimes why did i do that why did i say that why did i explode like that i don't understand why i keep repeating the same patterns over and over and over again he said in this life in this world in this kingdom in this culture you're going to have some trouble But take heart because I came to bring a hope that never existed before. I am going to overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the situations. I have overcome the despair. I have overcome all of the trouble of this world because I'm building something brand new. 
And so when Jesus came into that culture, that supercharged religious and political culture, that world that was so broken and messed up without hope, what we're about to read was revolutionary. What we're about to read was something that they couldn't even understand in their minds. No doubt there were some people in the group who said, oh, this, he must be the Messiah. If he's using words like this, if he is claiming something like this, if he is saying something like this, he must be the Messiah that was prophesied about. Then there were probably others who thought, what is this guy thinking? Doesn't he know how bad things are? Doesn't he know what trouble we're in? Doesn't he know that in our infinite wisdom as human beings we've been trying to figure this out a long time and it's just not possible this is what he said matthew chapter 11 it said come he said come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens does that define anybody in this room all of the situations that i mentioned earlier job loss Difficulty through failure. The pain of losing a loved one. Dealing with children in the home that you don't know exactly how to deal with. Finding yourself in a marriage that you don't know the way forward. All of those are situations from our own church family that have happened in the last two or three months. All of those are situations that I found myself right in the middle of. This is highly relevant for all of us. And in a world where Jesus came into this space, where he came in to a moment so much like the moments that many of us find ourselves in, he said, those of you who find yourselves carrying these burdens feeling like you're carrying around a heavy weight on your back. Come to me. See, he didn't even claim first that it was his teachings. He'll get to that in a minute. That's important, of course. He didn't claim it to be some written document that he was going to give to everyone and make sure that there were copies enough that everyone would hear it. And as long as you follow these things exactly in the right order, then you can experience this rest. He said, I am the one. He's the only one who ever said stuff like that. Like, I am the Savior. I am the way. Not not a set of principles and teachings and guidelines. No, I am. I am the Savior. He came here and he said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. In fact, you don't even know the Father if you haven't seen me. See, he came here as God in the flesh to say, I want to be, I can be your rest when you come to me. Come to me, all you who are burdened and carry heavy weights. I will give you rest. The first place that we see this idea of rest is all the way back in the beginning of creation. When God is creating the world and everything that we know, he says on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. He rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. You know, sometimes we think about rest when we're really, really tired. 
We think about rest when we're just depleted and we feel like I have nothing left to give. Sometimes you've had a really long day and maybe you got up early and you stayed up late and it's like all you can do just to make it to the side of the bed and just kind of like fall onto your bed and lay your head down on the pillow. Like I just need rest. But God didn't rest because he needed it. God didn't rest because he was depleted of energy. God did not need rest, and yet in his wholeness and his fullness as God, he rested because rest was a part of life. It was a part of the fullness and wholeness that was available to us. And so he expressed this in the way that he modeled his pattern day after day. I'm going to create I'm going to produce, I'm going to bring things forth, but then I'm going to rest because rest is just as much a part of life as the other. So he broke the pattern that he was in and he said, I am going to rest from my work. His work was a good thing. In fact, he called it a good thing. He looked at all that he had made, all that he had worked for, and he said, it is good. And yet he rested from even what was good to show us the way. So he continues in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He says, I will give you rest. So come to me, all you who are heavy laden and take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Let me teach you. I want to make myself available to you. When you come to me, allow me to speak into your life in a way that no one else can speak into your life. Allow me to show you a way to do things like no one else does things. Allow me to teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest, but not just rest like lay your head down on a pillow rest. I'm going to give you rest in the place where you really, really need it most. I'm going to give you rest in your soul. And I think if I said, are you restless? If you were to answer that question with yes, you're probably not talking about needing to go home and take a nap. It's probably the restlessness that you feel on the inside with all the tension and the conflict and the chaos of our world that you just can't seem to figure out. Can't seem to figure out how to make it through. It's the restlessness in our souls that longs for understanding of how do I figure this out? How do I make things work? How do I get to some peace in my life? the restless soul and he says not just I will give you rest but I'm going to give you rest in the place that matters most on the inside you everything begins with the inside and we see this word soul it's the same word soul that we find all the way again back in Genesis chapter 2 and it says in the Lord God he formed the man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life And the man became a living soul. You are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. The soul is the part of us that makes you, you. The soul is the part of me that makes me who I am. The soul is the part of us that can commune with God and will live for eternity. It's the part of us that God breathed himself in order that we might know him and he might know us. It's the real you. 
It's the one way down deep in there that you can't cover up with fancy Instagram posts. It's the one, the person that is you that you can't cover up with how big your Bible is that you carry into church on a Sunday morning. It's the part of you that you often don't let anyone see. And David knew all about this. And we see in Psalm 139 where David talks about this idea of the soul and how our soul knows God and and he knows us and he knows our soul and he created us. And David went through all matter of life. He had many ups and downs. He was actually experienced maybe some of the highest of highs that we can find all throughout Scripture. And in the same lifetime, he experienced some of the lowest of lows. But he knew that there was something beyond what was on the outside. And he said this, For you formed me, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My soul. Many times this passage is used, especially in maybe in kids' ministry or even maybe with some teenagers, and it's like, God knew you were going to have blonde hair, and He knew you were going to have blonde eyes because He was in there in your mother's womb, and He was knitting you together, and I'm not really sure that's exactly what it's talking about. I think it's something so much more significant and so much deeper than that. He was in there creating the living soul that would become you. That soul that he desired to be in relationship with. The you that's really you behind your eye color and your hair color and the clothes that we wear and the things people see on the outside. He wants to know you. He wants to know me. He wants to know his creation in a way that David did so well at explaining You know the inmost parts of me. You created the inward parts of me, not just what's on the outside. To be known fully by God in our soul and our soul to know him, it brings a whole new light to I will give you rest in your soul. It's the soul part of you that's eternal, that nothing can change. Nothing else can get to it. When it belongs to him. Our soul is the seat of our feelings, desires, affections, and aversions. It's that part of us that causes us to act in a certain way. That causes us to desire certain things. And as you and I read that for a second and we think about that. What, what are the feelings, desires, affections, and aversions of my soul? What is it that we grasp for? What is it that we seek to attain? What are those down inward motivations and intentions of our heart? Does our soul need rest? Or are we just grasping for more and more things that we think will provide us rest and will give us peace and will give us hope and will give us meaning, will give us value? But he, he wants to be the one to fully embrace the soul part of you that can know him and give us rest. Rest means to cause or permit one to cease from movement or labor so that one can collect strength. You ever considered your cell phone at the end of the day? All day long, your cell phone has been working really, really hard. It's been sending text messages. It's been making a few phone calls. It's been engaged in Google searches. It's been scrolling Instagram. It's been arguing on Facebook. It's been doing a lot of things all day long. 
And yet what your phone needs most in order to operate in the way in which it was created and designed to operate is it just goes at nighttime and it sits. And it's seemingly doing nothing, but while it's seemingly doing nothing, there's no activity happening. It's not striving. It's not searching. It's not sending. It's not receiving. All it's doing is getting some power from a source that's outside of itself so that it continues to sustain its activity. And God, in His loving mercy and kindness, and in His fullness from the very beginning, when He Himself took a rest, said, part of the life I want to give you is to offer you rest so that you may receive some power from another source outside of yourself to understand and ascertain how to deal with the world in which we live. How to operate and live in the purpose that He has intended for us. But as we do what we do, we continue to strive on our own. We, contri- we contrive ways that we can bring fulfillment into our own lives. We can try to figure out ways to add value to ourselves, to elevate ourselves above others, to make sure that we feel important, to make sure that we feel valuable, to make sure that we have all the answers, to make sure that everyone knows they should listen to us because our opinion matters most. And so we get busy and we get to work and we're doing all the things that we think we're supposed to do to try to fix things. And all along he's saying, would you come to me? Would you come to me? When you get heavy, when you get burdened, when you don't know what to do, when you don't know where to go, when you feel frustrated, when you feel confused, when you feel stuck, would you come to me? All throughout Scripture, we can see story after story after story. In fact, really, the Old Testament is just one gigantic big story about how humanity kept trying to do things on their own and messed it up every time. And so Jesus finally comes to fix it in what we call our New Testament now. And Jesus shows up on the scene in the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. But the whole story of God and how God interacts with man and man interacts with God is just one big giant failure story of humanity trying really hard over and over again. We complain. We connive. We cheat to try to get our way ahead. And we find out, oh, that didn't work either. And over and over and over again, and we see one of these stories in the book of Haggai where God's people were, were driven out of the land in which they lived. And then through God and His providence and His protection and His love for that community made a way for them to return back to their home. And here's what happened. After all of God's blessing. After all that they knew God was capable of, they went back to their own land. And it says this, Then the Lord sent a message through the prophet Haggai. Here was the message to them. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says to you. Look at what's happening to you. Again, he says, look, look, look. When is the last time that we have had a moment like this to really evaluate our lives? Look at the results of our world right now. Look at the results of our own lives. He continues to say, look what the Lord is trying to point out to you. Look what the Lord is trying to show you. Look how the Lord is trying to look out for the air of your ways. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. Does this look like our culture at all? Does this look like our world at all? Does this look like my life? at times. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. 
Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says to you. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills and bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for a rich harvest. And we hope for so many things. We hope things will work out. We hope things will get better. We hope, we hope, we hope. Sometimes we even pray and pray and pray that things would get better. We pray that things would move forward. We pray that things would work out. It says you hoped for a rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, it, it blew away. Even the, even the little bit of harvest, harvest that was left, it, it blew away. Why? This is something that you would not expect. And you certain wouldn't, certainly wouldn't hear this from a prosperity preacher. Why? Because my house lies in ruin, says the Lord of Heaven's army, while all of you were busy building your own houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold dew and the earth produces crops. For I have, <laughs> I have called for a drought on your fields and the hills. A drought to wither the grain and the grapes and the olive trees and all of your other crops. A drought to starve you and your livestock and, and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. At the end of all of our struggles, at the end of all of our toil toiling, at the end of all of our trying, 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 we're still thirsty. We're still hungry. That promotion that we thought was going to make things better only made things worse. That new relationship that we thought was going to help us feel whole again fell apart only to leave us worse than where we started. The things that we keep trying to collect on our own, the things that we keep trying to add to our lives on our own, they just leave us empty. And it was in this story that God wanted to show His people that he was the only thing that could really sustain them. While they were busy building their own homes and their own fine, luxurious homes that they thought would fix everything and add value and wholeness and health to their life, they were missing the one thing that mattered most. He said, why does my house lay in ruins? Today, we don't need a church building to come to. We don't need to build a temple like they did back then because Jesus and his love for us sent us his Holy Spirit, that his Holy Spirit might live in us. And now we, in our soul, that eternal part of us, that part of us that knows God and allows him to know us, that now is the temple. When is the last time that you paid attention to your own soul? When is the last time that we have come to a place where we allowed a scripture to speak to us or a message to speak to us or a life situation to speak to us that said, look at what you're doing. Just like in Haggai, over and over. Look at your life. Look what's happening to you. Look what you're experiencing. When is the last time that we have allowed him to speak into our soul in that way and say, you know what? God, you're right. Who would have thought? My ways just aren't working. The way that I thought it was the right way to move forward. It, it, it's really not helping at all. This question I want us to think about in a moment is, what do we need rest from? 
even God in the good that he was doing of creation, it says that he rested from. What is it that you need rest from? And so I wrote down a few things personally in my life. Here's some things that I need rest from that I know are causing me to toil outside the bounds of how God wants to give me rest, of how he wants to bring me completeness and fullness. But I need to rest from perfection. I need to rest from getting it right every single time. I need rest from having everything fixed. I'm usually not okay when everything's not okay. I think about it over and over and over again. I replay all the scenarios of all the could be's and should be's and what might happen and what may happen and what this person may say and then how I'd respond to that. And I need some rest in the middle of situations that I, I can't fix. I need rest from everything being done. I'm the person who always does like all the hard work first and then I play. And so what happens is I never play. I need rest from having everything done. I need rest from working being my identity. All the things that I do becoming who I am. I need some rest in my soul from that. I need some rest from achievement as my value. Conquering another thing, succeeding in another area, doing something else that I think makes me look good. I need some rest from achievement being my value. What would your answer be? Where do you need rest right now? Where do you come into this place? And you say, I need rest in this area of my life. What do I need to rest from? As we go back to creation, and God created everything in the heavens and the earth and in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. He looked at creation, he said, it is good. But then there was one thing that he came to, and he said, you know what, this is not good. And he looked at Adam, and he saw that Adam had everything that there was in creation to enjoy. He had literally everything going for him. Everything was right except one thing, and he said, it's not good for this man to be alone. It's not good for this man to exist without relationship without a way to express his love and the love that he's received from me to somebody else. It's not good for him to be alone. And so I just wonder, and this is, I'm just speculating here, but I'm just wondering if there was a, a part of Adam that God knew so well because he breathed that life into his soul and he became a living soul. I wonder if there was a part of Adam that, that God knew about. And as Adam was looking around and he saw all the animals and he saw all the trees and he saw the waters, and he saw the heavens both day and night, and he saw all of creation. I, I wonder if there was a part of him that thought there seems to be one thing that's just a little bit off, and I wonder if he started to feel a little bit of that frustration, a little, like disappointment, like there, there's got to be something else, right? And so God looks and he says, you know what, there is one thing that's not good, and what does he do? The thing that Adam could not fix for himself, he says, Adam, I want you to go to sleep. And he put Adam to sleep. And it was in his sleep that God produced the thing that Adam really needed most. Maybe it's time for us to rest. Maybe it's time for us to sit back for a moment and chill. For us to have a moment with God. He says, come to me. 
We often go to our phones. We often go to the news. We also often go to our place of escape. He says, come to me. Everything else in this life, working hard enough, doing good enough, trying hard enough, it's just heavy. It's just a heavy burden. Come to me, those of you who have heavy burdens, and I will give. Isn't that the story of Jesus? For God so loved the world that he gave, and he continues to give, and he continues to give, and he will never run out. In fact, Hebrews says that he would be the anchor for our soul. He'll be the thing that's immovable. Matthew says that he is the solid rock on which we can build our lives. And when we build our lives on him, we can't be shaken. We can withstand the trials that come our way. We can withstand the situations that come our way. We can stand the challenges and the difficulties and the chaos and the conflict. All of that, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, meaning I'll give you direction. I'll give you unity with me. That's what a yoke created there. I'll give you the direction that you're looking for all along. I will give you the life that you're looking for. Let me teach you my ways. Let me teach you how to build your house on the rock. Let me teach you how to find rest in me through doing things my way. I am humble and I am gentle at heart. In this culture, there would have been a lot of oppression. There would have been a lot of racial discrimination. There would have been uh, classes of people that were above certain other classes and those in one people group that wouldn't even dare speak or be seen near a person of another people group. And what he was saying here is, I am lowly of heart, meaning I am coming right to where you are. I think there was a reason when the woman came and she was caught in the act of adultery and they brought this woman to Jesus and said, the law says that this woman should be stoned. And all of them were standing there and they were holding their stones and they were going to stone this woman. And you know what Jesus said? He said, I am lowly and I am humble in heart and I'm going to bow down. And Jesus bent down and came to the level of a sinner. He came to the level of the one who needed him most in that moment. And I think it was kind of like he was saying to her, hey, look up at me, daughter. Look up at me. I know that you're in trouble right now. I know that you can't figure it out right now. I know that you're really frustrated right now. I know that you think you're in a situation that you can't get out of, but I want to give you rest. And he tells everyone else who were standing above her as he was kneeling with her at eye level, I am humble and I am lowly of heart. And I know the burden of your sin is pretty heavy. I know the weight of doing it all right all the time is pretty heavy. I know it's difficult when everybody's looking at you and they're accusing you and you feel like there's no way out. But he says, among you here, whoever is without sin, whoever is without chaos in their own life, whoever is without frustration in their own life, whoever here has not been tired of trying to do it right over and over and over again, and you know that on the inside things are not right, if there's any of you who are perfect, knowing full well that he was the only one in the group who was actually perfect, he still chose to come down to her level. He wasn't standing above her. He wasn't standing above her in condemnation, but he says, I want to come down to your level. I am humble and I am lowly at heart. Wherever you are today, whatever you're experiencing in your heart today, whatever feelings you feel on the inside that you've never even told anyone, whatever that thing is in your past that you don't want to, you don't want to bring to the surface again, he wants to give you rest in the middle of it. Not because everything's just going to go right, not because all the circumstances are just going to work out, but he says, in the middle of this troublesome world, I can overcome it. I can overcome it. I can overcome it. I can overcome it. And that's real rest. That's real rest. And so this wouldn't be a good sermon unless I left you with like one little line to remember over and over and over again. And so I hope you do, but it's remember to rest from for life. 
remember to rest from for life. So let me explain this. The Ten Commandments, they were given to us because we didn't do it right. We didn't understand even our own sin. We didn't know how we were destroying ourselves. In Romans chapter 5, it tells us that the law was given so that it might reveal our sin. Sin is not when we break the law. Sin is what we were already actively engaged in before there were even Ten Commandments to break. We were already headed for death. We were already headed for destruction. We were already messing it up. And it says that he gave the law so that we might have life and we might understand what would bring us pure life. Isn't it crazy that right in the middle of all the Ten Commandments, he says, remember the Sabbath. In other words, remember to rest. It was a day of rest. Remember to rest. Remember to rest. Why? Because we don't remember. We don't do it. We get bogged down in our own way, trying our own things, spinning our wheels, doing it over and over again. But he says, I want you to experience the life that you were intended to live when you find your rest in me. Remember the Sabbath. So remember to rest from, just as God did, he rested from his work. What is it that you need to rest from? Remember to rest from in order to experience the life that he intended for us. He didn't intend for us to walk around heavy. I got to force myself to smile. I got to force myself to forgive people. And I got to be a good Christian. And I got to do the right thing. And I got to make it. And I got to make my own way. And I got to figure this out. And I got to be everybody else's savior. And I have to have all the answers. He didn't intend for us to do that. But yet, if we were honest, that's, yeah, that's pretty much what we do most of the time. Remember to rest from what is you're from? That's the question. Several years ago, I was taking a ministry class and I showed up to class and it was the first night of our class and we, most of us were coming from our regular jobs during the day and had just enough time to maybe grab fast food in the car on the way. And so we, we get there and he said, I can tell that many of you are stressed. Many of you are probably feeling a little overwhelmed now trying to get to this first class come here for the next eight weeks. And so I want to give you a gift on this first night of class. And he gave us 20 minutes. He said, I want you to go anywhere in the building and I want you just to have 20 minutes with God, whatever that looks like. Turn music on. You can write some stuff down in a journal. You can just sit in solitude. You can just sit on a chair and just not do anything. Just be. And I still remember that. That was probably six or seven years ago. And that meant so much to me in that moment because I needed it but I often didn't take time to do it. So I'm not going to give you 20 minutes this morning, but I am going to ask Josh to play for a few minutes. You have nowhere else to be for the next few minutes except right here. When you ask God, or when you tell God, God, I need some rest from, allow him to speak in this moment. Just be here in this moment. Be still before God. And let's have a moment with him. For when we come to him, he can give us rest.
God, for most of us, that three minutes there probably felt like 20. We're so used to doing, being busy, getting to the next place. I pray that this little three-minute exercise here would be a picture of the kind of rest, the reprieve from the craziness of life in this world that we can experience as we live life with you. I pray that we would take every moment captive, that we would be able to have moments like this all throughout our day when we're trying to deal with that difficult conversation, with that difficult person, we're trying to figure out how to overcome the pain that we're facing when we don't know how we're going to climb the mountain that's in front of us, we would take a moment and we would reset, we would remember, we would refocus ourselves on you. You are the one who is immovable. You are the rock that is unshakable. You are the anchor that holds through the storm and through the drift. You are the one that we can build our lives on. You are the sure foundation that will never, ever fail us. You are the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You are our healer. You are our provider. You are our comfort. You're the one that gives peace beyond anything that we can understand. And I pray that we would be able to have moment after moment after moment like that with you. And we would truly find our rest in you and not ourselves. Help us today as we leave this place in just a few moments and we go back into lives that we live, the world that we live in, that we would find our rest in you. We would do life in a different way than most. We would follow your way. In Jesus' name, amen.